0: Good morning. All right, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, I guess, it's tomorrow as well. Yeah, so we bring you, I bring you greetings from Redemption Calgary South. Uh, we uh, we're about to celebrate our six year anniversary as a church. Come here in January, and uh, you know, during Christmas, you know, the kids come home, they come to visit. That's really what I'm doing here. I'm one of the kids. Uh, our church is one of the kids that they kicked out of the basement six years ago. And uh, just back to Sharon, Trevor and I do this kind of as a tradition, it has been for the last few years, to swap pulpits for the Sunday after Christmas, and it is such a joy to come home and see our extended family here as well. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles, and I hope you have them with you. Uh, If you don't, um, I know there's plenty here, Uh, take a Bible from the Usher, put your hand up, they'll bring that to you. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, that is your Christmas gift from this church, Yes, I'm going to freely give out the Bibles from Redemption North to anybody who needs it. Um, So John, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 35 to 42. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. Well, as today is the last day of 2023, and tomorrow the first day of 2024... As we often take this time to reflect over the past year and, and maybe even resolve to make changes for the new year, uh, let me ask you, amongst your list of reflections or maybe even resolutions, where does discipleship fit into the whole picture? Like as much as it's good to make these better health choices, these goals, fitness goals, financial goals, all kinds of goals that we make. What about, what about our discipleship goals? And let me ask you, what has discipleship looked like in your life over the past year, and what does it need to look like in the new year? And friends, we can often use churchy words like discipleship and not really know what they fully mean. As you make goals for discipleship, let me ask you, how would you biblically define discipleship? What does discipleship look like according to the Bible? Well, as our church in, uh, in South Calgary is currently working through the, the Gospel of John, thank you. We're working through the Gospel of John together. And the overall theme for John is to believe, to believe that Jesus is the Christ and have life in his name. Friends, to believe in Jesus is more than just an acknowledgement of in the mind. It's It's a knowledge that moves your heart, and it moves your whole being. Friends, discipleship is truly responding to the greatest news about the greatest person ever. And that response is by following Jesus with all that you are and all that you have. And that's what we see here. In the gospel of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 35, we see that these very first disciples, as revealed by John, gives us a pattern already of what it means to be a disciple. And so in in, in verses 35 to 42, what we're going to see here is that they immediately follow him, they desperately learn from him, and then they urgently share him. Well, let's read the text. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are gathered together. Those who you have called out of darkness into your glorious light. Those who you have, you have given us new hearts New hearts that have received your Holy Spirit. We come together gathered as the saints, as the family of God. And we gather together to come and to hear from you and to worship you alone. We love that there's all these testimonies about your faithfulness, your grace, your mercy in the lives of the people in this church. And we're so uh, grateful that we can come and worship you and anticipate more. And trust you all the more for the next year. We do pray that you would use your word here this morning to transform our hearts, to renew our minds, that you would conform us further into the image of Christ and to teach us even further what it means to be a true disciple. And we pray this in the name of King Jesus, amen, amen. So let me ask you, how would you respond or how do you respond to the greatest news about the greatest person ever. Well, the quick and easy Sunday school answer to that is, well, I need to become a Christian, right? I need to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, as we just read. But really, what does that look like, and what does that mean? Well, as we see here how the first disciples responded, the first thing we see is that true disciple discipleship means that we must immediately follow him. That is, John declares to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. They don't just chalk up this revelation to be some kind of valuable information to evaluate someday when I have more time. They don't put this information in their back pockets to reconsider upon the deathbed. They don't file it under F for fire insurance. No, they leave everything behind and they immediately follow him Because why? Because he's the only way to forgiveness. Friends, the greatest mistake you could ever make and the greatest mistake the church at large is making today is that we can often reduce the reality of Christ to that of just a mere option of options, a mere addition to an already good life, a mere product to be used or consumed as we deem deem fit, and as we often put, off, put it off until later, or, or until we think we might have some more time. But that's not what we see here when we see Jesus beginning his ministry and beginning to gather his disciples. now what we see when they truly see Jesus, when they behold the Lamb of God for who he really is, what we see is that they drop everything and they follow him, right? No hesitancy No waiting. No further proof needed. No, they just just go and they follow him. And as verse 35 to 37 reveals, they immediately follow him. Let's take a closer look here at verse 35. It says the next day. The next day after what? Well, it was the next day after John the Baptist saw Jesus again with his own eyes. This Jesus, he baptized some 40 days or so earlier. This Jesus, whom he saw the Holy Spirit descend upon like a dove, he is now back from the desert. He's back from his victory over the temptations from Satan. And as he is about to begin his earthly ministry, what we see here is that as John sees Jesus again, what does he do? He beholds He says, Behold the Lamb of God. Just like he did if you look back in verse 29. That as he was baptizing both Gentiles and Jews, and he was preaching about repentance and the forgiveness of sins, he said, Look, behold. There he is. There's the Lamb. He's the one who takes away the sins of the world. And then as we see him... see. Here, seeing him again, we see the text here revealing John was standing with two of his disciples. Notice that we see here that John's testimony uh, in the context of the background of this, his his recent testimony in the chapter or in the verses just before, he was testifying to the priests and the Levites about the person of Jesus Christ, but they rejected it all. But his testimony here changes the whole trajectory and direction of just some ordinary men. John's very own disciples. The text says in verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So it wasn't that they were just fascinated by the statement that John made. They weren't just kind of moved in the heart, but it actually moved their feet. And their response was just to simply and profoundly follow Jesus. Friends, that's really, on the basic level, that's what discipleship is all about. Discipleship is about following Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. Biblically speaking, to be a disciple is to follow a leader. It's like a student who follows a master, Friends, being a disciple is more than just taking in the facts or the knowledge or the theoretical. No, being a disciple is about being a personal witness of the theoretical being put to practice. It's about being an observer of not only what to think, but how to get it done. Now, for those who know me, you might know that before I was a pastor, I was a tradesman. Up until seven years ago, I was a journeyman instrument technician in the oil and gas industry. Any tradespeople out there? Let me see those hands. Okay, yeah. Love you guys. The reason I bring this up is because in any trade, when you are to become a journeyman, it means that you have to put many years in as an apprentice. Apprenticeship means that you must personally learn under a master or under a journeyman. Apprenticeship means that you have to personally follow that master around. You need to, yes, learn what he teaches, but you also observe up close what he's doing with his hands and how he's getting it done. It's all about the theoretical being put to practice right before your eyes. It's when you do that that you learn, especially as as an apprentice in any kind of industry, you're learning why are there codes, why are there regulations, why are there systems, and how do we put it together. So it's more than just gaining head knowledge. You learn how to practically put it all together. And friends, that's what discipleship is. It's following our master, Jesus, closely. It's walking in his footsteps. It's observing what he does up close and personal. And so as these two disciples, who, by the way, are, if you notice in the text, it says they're John's disciples, they're John's apprentices, so to speak, as John points them to the greatest master ever to be followed, friends, the only right choice for them is to leave the lesser master, to leave everything immediately behind and follow the greater master. And who is the master? John says, he is the lamb of God. Go and follow him. Go learn from him. Go observe him. One thing to notice there as well, John doesn't try to hold on to them. He doesn't try to say, well, these guys are my best disciples. They're my best helpers. I can't afford to let them go. No, he readily lets them go because he knows that the greatest place for them to be is in the footsteps of the Lamb of God, the only way to forgiveness. And friends, that's the same for you and I. That's the place, best place for us to be as well, in the footsteps of Jesus, the Lamb of God. He's the only way to forgiveness, leaving all that we have behind, all that would hinder us putting our gospel apprenticeship shoes on because, friends, it's going to be the journey of all journeys. It is going to be the ride of your life and all eternity to be able to be up close and personal with Jesus Christ as the disciples did. We get to watch him. We get to observe him. We get to worship him. From that very moment on, we, we see the disciples following Jesus. They follow him through the next three years of Jesus' ministry, such a miraculous ministry, and they follow him all the way to that rugged, bloody cross. They follow him beyond his death to the, to the grave. They witness him resurrected and then ascending back to the Heavenly Father. They got to follow the Lamb of God. Friends, it was the only right response So, the question for you is Are you following him? In a room this size, that question always stands to reason. Are you truly following him? Are you following him as the promised Lamb of God? When John is talking, about Jesus being the Lamb of God. He's talking about Jesus being the final substitutionary sacrifice for our sin that after hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lamb sacrifices throughout the history of Israel, His sacrifice is the only one that counts. He is the only one who can truly atone for our our sin. He's the only one that can satisfy God's rightful wrath for our sin. Friends, he's the only payment. He's the only one that can forgive you every sin past, present, future. That as blood had to be spilled for the remission of sins and as Hebrews 9:12 says that Jesus, he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Friends, when you can behold that final, once-for-all Lamb of God so clearly right in front of you, what other response is there? If you're truly seeing it as John and his disciples are seeing it, friends, this is the only sane choice you can make. Anything other than that is insanity. Notice as well, John doesn't tell his disciples to follow Jesus. Jesus. He doesn't command them to leave him and go to Jesus. No, he just simply says, behold him. Behold him. Look, see, set your eyes on him. It's him. Friends, when we, when we truly see Jesus for who he truly is, there is no other response. Know your heart and your feet just go. So the question is, is, do you see him for who he is? Are you truly beholding him? And as you're beholding him, are you looking down at your feet? And are your feet going towards him, going after him? Friends, are you following him? Or are you on a holding pattern? Are you in that kind of a a wait-and-see kind of a phase? You know, yes, I, I think I believe. I think it makes sense. But I have other things I want to get done in my life. I think, and this goes to the kids who are with us, I think I'm going to wait until I'm older. I'm going to put this information in my back pocket when I'm faced with the real crisis. Then I'm going to pull it out and believe. Then I'll truly follow. Maybe you're not convinced yet. Maybe you're skeptical of the whole thing. Maybe just like the Pharisees and the priests, you reject this. Believing and following Jesus, friends, means that your whole system and plans need to be turned upside down. But maybe for you, you don't want to lose control. Maybe you really don't want to submit to God. Wherever you're at, friends, listen to John. Listen to John here. As he says, behold the Lamb of God. See him. And then follow him immediately. We see this in the Gospels, the other Gospels, as they're talking about Jesus calling his disciples. In the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. But then how does Mark describe their response to all of this? He says in verse 18, And immediately... They left their nets and followed him. The same goes with James and John in verse 19. Going on a little further, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boat mending the nets. When these guys are out fishing, they're not just sport fishing for rainbow trout or bass. This was their very livelihood. This was their family business. But yet when Jesus calls them, what do we see? Verse 20, immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and they followed him. Right, they left everything. Immediately, just to follow Jesus. Friends, that's how urgent all of this is. That's the only right response to truly beholding the Lamb of God and hearing his call upon your life. What would be stopping you from truly leaving it all right now just to follow Jesus what are you holding on to what do you need to let go of maybe what sin has got you so fixated and your heart so ensnared that you can't even behold him for who he is right now friends it's not just about biblical knowledge it's not just about mental assent It's about truly believing in the Lamb of God, that he is everything, to the point that it moves every part of who you are. I like how John MacArthur says this. He says, when it comes to the gospel, he says, Jesus is not offering a makeover. He's calling for a takeover. It's very different from the Christian light that we're so familiar with today. Brothers and sisters, are are, are you just trying to make the outside look a little better? Or are you willing to give it all up for Jesus by example of these disciples to respond to the greatest news about the greatest person ever? Friends, immediately follow him. He's the only way to forgiveness. Now, for those who are here who have taken those steps and you are following Maybe you need to ask yourself this as well. Do I still have that immediacy of heart for my Savior? Am I still seeing the beauty of the Lamb of God? Is he still compelling my heart to follow after him? I mean, how about when when the times get tough? When you face the obstacles of life? Maybe initially your, your faith was just so exciting and it was all-consuming, but now as life has hit, hit you square in the face, it's just not as exciting as it once was. Maybe your following of Jesus takes a back seat. Has your following gotten derailed over the years? When your marriage is struggling, when your health is suffering, when you're exhausted and you're worn out, or your temptations steal your gaze away again? Or maybe it's just the busyness of life and how you've planned your life. It eats up all your time. You're spending yourself on all kinds of things, even good things, but yet following Jesus gets the back burner. What about when your work or your career gets chosen over choosing Jesus. Or maybe you get yourself running so hard doing the extracurricular things that your margin for Jesus is just sapped. Maybe you've got your children in so many things that you think are so valuable, but then the most valuable thing gets benched. Whatever it is, friends, beware just because you took those initial steps doesn't mean that your following is going to be stellar. But the pathway back is always the same. It's the same as when it started. When Jesus appeared and you beheld his glory and his worth. When you've seen the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. Friends, you've got to recapture that. Refocus your heart. Recalibrate your eyes upon the Lamb. As Paul says in Colossians 3, 1-2, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. So that's going to require some repentance. But in the strength of the Spirit, we get back up, we make the changes that are necessary, and we step back Into the footsteps of Jesus. So immediately follow him. He's the only way to forgiveness. Now, as these two disciples are now following Jesus, more than just following from a distance, what we see next is that they want to get closer to the Lamb of God. The attraction to him is too great, his glory is too awesome, his reality is too compelling. And they want more than just a temporary observance. No, they want more of him. Verse 38 says, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. Friends, when you behold the greatest news about the greatest person ever, you must also desperately learn from him. He is the ultimate abiding relationship. As Jesus asks these two, what are you seeking? Notice their answer. Notice they didn't answer by saying, well, we're seeking eternal life. We're seeking salvation. No, their answer reveals something more. It reveals something better, something greater. Their answer revealed that they were seeking Jesus for Jesus. They were seeking Jesus more than just about what he can give me. They were seeking Jesus for Jesus. You see, they called him rabbi, which means teacher. The the word rabbi here accentuates, again, this whole apprentice and, and master relationship that as Jewish rabbis or spiritual leaders of that day would often have disciples in tow who would travel with them and who would serve them and then learn from them, as these former disciples of John's are revealing their, their motivations for following him, they're revealing that they're seeing Jesus as their rabbi now. They're seeing him as their teacher and their master. And so as Jesus basically says to these guys, what do you want? Their answer is a question. Their answer is, where are you staying? This means that they they want more than just a moment with Jesus. They want more than just a short conversation. But rather, they want to spend some considerable time with him. This is going to involve more time than daylight would allow. And we see that it was about the 10th hour or 4 p.m. in the afternoon. These guys knew that Jesus would have to retire somewhere in the evening. And so they inquire about it. They desired more than just a one-off conversation. They wanted considerable time. And so Jesus answers their request by saying to them, come and you will see. This come and see response, friends, is more than just an invitation to know the street address of where he's staying But rather it's an address, uh, it's an invitation to come and see for the purpose of remaining with him. Which as they called him rabbi was a response of acceptance by him as their disciples, as his students. And so the text goes on to say, so they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour or four o'clock. Friends, it isn't enough to follow Christ from a distance. It's not enough to observe him from afar. No, the discipleship-rabbi relationship that we must have with him is one of a close, intimate, committed loyalty, the commitment of a student to the ultimate master teacher, the one who If you're in the book of John, you would have studied already in verse 14. He is full of grace and truth. The grace and truth that these students are going to be needing in order to make sense of the world around them. The truth about what it means that he is the Lamb of God. The truth that we all need as we try to live in a a world full of lies. And so a disciple is one who not only watches what the master does, but he also listens to his true teaching. You're one who sits at the foot of, the, of, of Jesus. And friends, this is called abiding. In, the, in fact, the question that they asked Jesus about where he was staying, the word for staying here in the Greek is the word meno, which is also translated as abide or remain. And if you read much of John's writings, he uses this word to speak about abiding in Christ. For example, if you were to study on in chapter 15, 4, Jesus says to his disciples, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so as these disciples are asking where he is staying, where he is abiding... What we see is that John, the the Apostle John who's writing this, he's intentionally front-loading this gospel with the topic of abiding with Christ. And friends, abiding is everything when it comes to discipleship. True discipleship means that we don't just come to Jesus for momentary encounters or temporary experiences. No, discipleship means that we come to Jesus to stay with Jesus. We come to Jesus to abide with him, to remain with him, and he with us. His calling of discipleship is all about abiding. Just as John began his gospel here, talking about, and we just celebrated this as Christmas, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Friends, as Jesus came down to dwell with us, to abide with us, true discipleship abides back. As Jesus says in, in John fifteen four, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Friends, it's like a branch to the vine. Abiding is to be the most desperate and vital part of our lives. That we can't do anything, we can't produce any fruit apart from abiding in Christ. Friends, abiding is everything. And so as you pursue the Lord, and as you seek to abide in him, as Jesus just so hospitably responded to these two disciples to come and to see And to stay, this is what he calls of you as well. This is what he welcomes you into. This is what the Lord wants most for you. Come and see where I dwell. Come abide with me. And so the question for us is, how's our abiding going? Are we abiding with Christ? What does my abiding look like right now? In fact, as we ask what discipleship looks like, the question really should be, What is my abiding looking like? And friends, as Jesus is called rabbi by the disciples, rabbis in those days were highly honored men of scriptural knowledge. Abiding with Jesus as rabbi isn't just merely claiming that you're his student, but it's that you are truly being his student. And this involves... Holding fast to his teaching, holding fast to his word. In fact, Jesus, Jesus says later in, in John 8:31, He says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Abiding in Him is intrinsically connected to abiding in His Word, abiding in His teaching. You can't separate the two. Second John 9, John says this: everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Friends, to be a true disciple, to be a true Christian, means that your abiding is necessarily marked by abiding in his word, holding fast to the Bible, holding fast to what it teaches. That means that as Jesus would go from town to town with his disciples, as he would heal the sick and he would open the eyes of the blind and he would raise the dead, as the disciples were to follow and to observe all of that, they weren't just to focus on the incredible miracles alone. No, they would have to focus on what Jesus would teach them. And friends, as Jesus was the master teacher, as he was the greatest rabbi that there ever was, as he would speak parables and and preach sermons to the crowds, and as he would intentionally and directly teach his disciples, even though his disciples would sometimes have a hard time understanding what Jesus was teaching them, they were still to hold fast to every word that would come from his lips. That means that they would have to put aside their old, old worldly thoughts, Their fallen ideas. Their their own materialistic logic. And they would have to listen up when the master was speaking. They would have to sit at his feet. They'd have to take it all in. Every word. One commentator says, he says, to abide in Christ expresses the continual act by which the Christian sets everything which he might derive from his own wisdom, strength, and merit to draw All from Christ. So friends, to abide and grow as a disciple means that you need to get your worldly thoughts out. You need to get God's word in. You need to have your mind regularly and thoroughly renewed so that you're no longer conformed to this world, but that you're being transformed by God who renews the mind by his word. And so as Jesus is so full of grace And truth, the grace and truth needs to be received by a willing, abiding student, learning that truth and learning it straight from the source. And so, friends, as Jesus has called you to come and follow Him, to be His disciple, to be His student, let me ask you are you sitting at His feet regularly and abiding with Him, taking it all in? Matthew 11, 28, 29 says this. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, come and learn from Jesus. Come and find rest for your souls. Come and remain. Abide with him. That's what discipleship looks like. And so, church, if I was to ask you right now, or if Jesus, like to the disciples, if Jesus were to turn to you right now and ask you, why are you following him, what would you say? Would you say, I'm I'm following you to get to heaven. I'm following you for salvation. I'm following you to get my life straightened out. Or would you reply to him, I'm following you for you, Jesus. Wherever you are, Jesus, that's where I want to be because I want to be with you. I want to know you. I want to constantly hear from you. And friends, hear hear me rightly here. Forgiveness, salvation, transformation, these are all good and right things to be pursuing the Lord for. But make sure that you're not missing out on what the true and ultimate purpose is, which is Jesus himself. Friends, just pursuing the Lord for what he can do for you misses the ultimate mark. True discipleship pursues Jesus for Jesus. I'll say that again. True discipleship pursues Jesus for Jesus. And if you miss that, you miss everything. Heaven isn't about an eternal golf course with no green fees. Heaven isn't about the perfect versions of ourselves forever. Heaven isn't about merely reuniting with your lost relatives. Heaven definitely isn't about floating on a cloud and eating cream cheese. Heaven is about abiding with Jesus forever and ever. It's, it's all about being with Him. And so friends, getting this right should really change how you approach the reading, and the studying, and the memorizing, and the meditating upon God's Word in this coming year. That as abiding in Christ is intrinsically connected to abiding in God's Word, and as abiding in the Word is ultimately about your relationship with Jesus. As you think about your discipleship over the past year, and you plan for the next... And we don't want to do a show of hands, but maybe you've missed the mark on your Bible reading and your study. Maybe right now you're making resolutions for the next year to restart with a new plan and the new year. Friends, the purpose and the motivation that is going to drive you to consistently, to consistency and discipline and joy in this area, it's not going to be found by just achieving a chapter and verse checkmark. It's not gonna come to you just because you arrive at some date of completion. It's not even gonna just come to you with a goal of of godliness, that's good. No friends, the goal must be relationship. It's ultimately about sitting at Christ's feet, to abide in him, to know him, to worship him all the more, to love him all the more. Let that drive your plans. For this year, friends, desperately learn from him. He's the ultimate abiding relationship. Now, as we hear of these two disciples, they leave John and they follow after and they abide with Jesus. Friends, discipleship isn't also just about following and abiding. No, for discipleship to be true discipleship, that means that discipleship multiplies. That with the following, with the learning, with the abiding... The greatest news about the greatest person ever must be shared. Therefore, we must urgently share him, friends. He is the life-transforming promise. That's what we see here in verses 40 to 42. The text says in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Let's just stop there for a moment. As John identifies these two first disciples, as he says one of them is Andrew, who is Simon Peter's brother, he doesn't really define who the other disciple is. But let me ask you, who is that? If you study the Gospel of John, who is that disciple? Well, it's the Apostle John. The Apostle John never names himself throughout the Gospel, but he rather humbly refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Friends, as John in humility really doesn't want to put the focus on himself, common consensus is that the unnamed disciple here is actually John. The apostle John, the author of the gospel of John. And so as these two disciples likely remained with Jesus overnight, verse 41 says about Andrew, that he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And what does he do? He brought him to Jesus. That as that morning sun had risen, that as he was so overjoyed that he and John had been invited to remain with Jesus, he just couldn't contain himself. He couldn't help himself by running to the very first person that came to his mind, his, his very brother Simon. And What we see here is that his going and his bringing his brother Simon Friends, it's marked with such urgency that as we read that he first found his own brother Simon, the word first here is best to be understood in the adverbial sense. The word first is modifying the word found. That in his first thoughts of finding others and telling them about Jesus, the first person to be firstly found has got to be his very own brother. And so as the text says, he he first found his brother Simon. What does he say to him? He says, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. Friends, it's the urgency of this greatest news that causes him to go and bring Simon to Jesus, to go and bring. And so what we see here, friends, is that this, as this news is too great to keep to ourselves, and as the urgency of this news is too urgent not to share, with the very people you love, or every person in this world. Friends, this is what should naturally happen when you truly encounter Christ. This is what should fuel your motivation as you truly behold the Lamb of God and as you abide in Him, that as He, the Messiah, meaning the anointed Savior of the world, is the only hope the world has been waiting for, that as he is the sole purpose for our existence, as God himself has now come down and put on the flesh, friends, the greatest and the urgency of this news is just too good to be contained. It just has to be shared. So friends, let me ask you, is your natural response to truly beholding and abiding with the Lamb of God, is it moving your feet? to go to those who need to hear? Is it moving your heart towards others with the greatest news? Is it causing you to bring others into contact with Jesus? Are we sharing? Are we declaring? Are we bringing? That as John the Baptist urgently pointed his own disciples to Jesus and as they are now pointing others to Jesus, friends, the ultimate end game of discipleship is that it's our turn. It's our turn. It's our turn to be pointing others to Jesus. And my prayer is that we just can't help ourselves from doing that, from sharing Jesus. Now, as I look out onto you, I, I, know, I know some of you, and I know that this is who you are. You just can't help but sharing the gospel. But for those who, who would say, I, I rarely, if ever, share the gospel with anyone, you have to ask yourself, why not? Why don't we? Is it not the most greatest news about the greatest person ever? Is it not the most urgent news that I could share with anyone? If it is, then why am I not sharing it? Why am I not sharing it all the time? I mean, when we think about sharing, think about the things you do share. We share about the weather. We share about what the political news of the day. We talk about the economy. And frankly, friends, what we share is often just so frivolous and unimportant in the grand scope of things, like what we watched on Netflix or what we saw on Facebook. I think that's for those who are over 45, Right? Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is, memes, jokes. We share what we ate for dinner. We share how our hockey team is doing. But when it comes to the greatest, most urgent news of the gospel, friends, how ready is that news on our lips? How urgent is it on the tip of our tongues? And I think I can say with confidence that more common with most of us than we want to admit Is that this is a challenge? It's a problem. We're not sharing the greatest news ever. We're not sharing it with absolutely everyone. Now you might say, well, it's because I'm scared. I don't want to offend anybody, I don't want to lose my job. Maybe you think this is for those who are more equipped. That's for the missionaries, that's for the pastors. Maybe you would say, I'm just too busy. Maybe you're just too distracted. Maybe we're consumed with lesser things. Maybe we don't love others like we ought to. Well, friends, I think there are a number of reasons and excuses that we could run to, but I think more than anything is that we actually don't really think it's the greatest news about the greatest person ever. Or maybe we just think it's good enough for me, but it's not good enough to share it to get uncomfortable. And so if that's you or if that's me, friends, this new year is a time of recalibrating, recalibrating our hearts for the next year. That as we are to leave it all and pursue Jesus, and as we are to also make these plans and to desire to abide in Jesus all the more for Jesus, friends, if we truly get those things right, this should just overflow our hearts with compassion and mercy towards a lost and dying world that so desperately needs to know Jesus. Friends, is it the most greatest news about the greatest person ever? It is. Then, if it is, let's get our discipleship right. That as Jesus is the light of the world, we're called to be lights in this world, sharing Him. That as he said, we're not to put a lamp under a basket. We're to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are to be salt and light. Friends, we need to get to a place that the greatest, most urgent news ever just readily overflows to the watching world. It just spills out. And so with me and others, there's something that we need to continually Recalibrate. Maybe repentance needs to come in hand here. Will you commit to asking the Lord to recaptivate your heart so that his good news just flows out? We see here Andrew going to his family. How about your family? How about your friends? How about your neighbors? How about the world? And friends, I'll promise you if if you commit to this, no, better yet, Jesus promises you. Lives are going to be changed. People are going to get saved. It may not be the first person you share them with. It may be the hundredth person you share with. But friends, this is how Jesus gets his mission done. It's through discipleship. It's through us. And friends, the most exciting thing that you will ever witness is seeing the lost found. Seeing the spiritually dead come to life. Seeing lives being transformed right in front of you. That's exactly what we see with with this this, this closing verse of, of, of how this text closes out. It says, Jesus looked at him, Simon, and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Friends, this is the faithfulness of Christ. To work through our work and to faithfully transform sinners and make them new. He gives them new identity in him. And friends, as you know this Simon, you know this this Peter. As you read the Bible, Peter becomes such a transformation. As Simon's name is changed uh, to, to Peter, Peter means rock. This is the transforming power of Christ on display that as he could change the most foolish lost sinner into a solid faithful disciple. Friends, he could change anybody. It's not about our power to change, Simon. It's about our faithfulness to go and God's power to change. Andrew brings Simon into contact with Jesus to truly behold him. And Jesus grabs a hold of his dark heart, and he makes it new. Friends, as we just celebrated Christmas, our Messiah came down and he put on flesh to save and to transform the darkest hearts so that more hearts will be saved and transformed through them as well. Friends, that is discipleship. And as we say around here, I think it says on the the banners, right? Right? We abide in Christ, we connect with the church, we share with the world. The lost saved, the saved matured, the mature multiplied, friends, this is true discipleship. So as I began this sermon with the question, what is discipleship and what does it look like? Friends, this is it. So as you look back on 2023 and you look forward to 2024, in the strength of the Spirit, in the conviction of God's Word, in the encouragement of the gospel, may we immediately follow him. He's the only way to forgiveness. May we desperately learn from him. He's the ultimate abiding relationship. And may we urgently share him. He is the life-transforming promise. Let's pray. Our God and Father, as, as, as we see this very short and simple story about Disciples coming and following you and abiding with you and sharing you. What an example it is for us. Yes, it may be really convicting on the heart, but we know that you give us the strength, you give us the power, you give us the encouragement by your spirit, by your word, to actually get after this. We also know that it's your responsibility to continually transform the heart. And so we ask that as we abide in you, you'll continually renew our minds, change our desires, and transform our lives for your glory. So thankful for Redemption Church Calgary North, the leadership here. We're so thankful that you are the shepherd, the king shepherd over this church. And as these people commit to follow you, that you're going to continue to do great things You're going to continue to transform lives as this church, as these people commit to following you, abiding in you, and sharing you. We do pray in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.